Warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Listen, when, when it's messy, it's a problem for everyone in the room. Correct. All ten of them. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. <laughs> this is all fuckery. <laughs> fuckery, fuckery, fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... Give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. <laughs> well, hi. Welcome to the Adam Sang Show. I'm Steve Cesaro, and we are not live today, and this is a brand new episode of sorts. If you're listening live at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, October 8th, 2022 at dnrstudios.com or the DNR Cast app, the only place to hear this podcast live throughout the week that it first airs. Leave us your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to say Steve is also on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to this fucking thing. Email Adam at adam at adamsank.com. Call us and leave us a voicemail on the ass hotline anytime you want. That number is 804-TALK-ASS. That's right. That's 804-825-5277. Like the Facebook page. Download Adam's only. I'm just kidding. He's got several. Download Adam's comedy albums. Get your official ass merch at adamsank.com. Please get vaccinated and boosted if you haven't already done so. And here on the ass, we stand with Ukraine. My dear friends, the reason I'm kicking off the show today instead of that old whore, Adam Sank, is that this is a brand new special, The Best of Ass, Steve's favorite episodes. We're going to look back on many highlights and lowlights and midlights and lights of the ass as I truly love. But first, I'd like to introduce my favorite, favorite co-host, everyone's favorite kvetch, Adam Sank. Thank you so much, Steve. Oh, Thank you. Welcome. Oh, my goodness. So much applause. So happy for you to join me on my show. Very well done, Steve. You only <laughs> fucked up one line. Oh, fuck. Uh, also with us is our producer, the queen of fuckery. Hello, J.B. Bercy. Hello. Welcome to you both. Um, yeah, you know, I was looking at the, uh, at the shows, and I realized that we have not done a special since May. Oh, my God. It's been a long fucking time. We had a brand new episode every single Saturday of the summer. Even though most of them, uh, Steve was not here for. So, I think we're that's due a good record for us. It, it's a fucking great yeah. record. We are due for wow. a special. We're due for a week off. And I thought it would be fun this time, instead of it, my choosing them, to have Steve choose them. Hello. So, Steve, what was your criteria in choosing the episodes that we're going to highlight today? So, there was a few. Uh, the first one was um, which ones sort of stood out to me as ones that I specifically remember for specific reasons. Not like it was too funny or whatever, but it was um, that, like, was it a great interview or was it a great song or is it a guest that I just adored? Or, as you'll see with our first guest, is... Um, would, they, would their name bring us a little bit more clickbait? So clickbait was definitely one of them. Very smart. <laughs> okay, just very uh, good criteria. Just to remember yeah. the timeline of this, some of these episodes were picked when, while you were a listener of the Adams Show. Correct. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm very excited to get a listen to Steve's choices because again, he has the listener perspective. True, yeah. and they span several years. This yeah. first clip is actually from way back in January of 2018. It was episode 31. It's the second time that Bianca Del Rio 
graced the ass with her presence. Mm -hmm. And what also made this a cool episode is that Scott Lowell from Queer as Folk was my co-host that day. Oh, nice. Katie, JB, and Donnie were in the studio. I totally forgot Donnie was ever in the studio. That's uh, really going back. Oh, 2018. This was when we moved to the new, to the other studio. The second studio. Yes. Yeah, this is when we hired our our old interns, Donnie, the other Katie, and Win, Winnie? I don't remember. But um, Bianca's always great. I asked her which country has the biggest dicks. Uh -huh. And of all the celebrities she's met, uh, which one has been the biggest twat? And I actually <laughs> used the word twat. Um, also in this clip, Bianca and I had an exchange that became a sound drop that we used in our show opening for many months after that. So uh, please enjoy... This clip from back on January 21st, 2018 with Bianca Del Rio. You perform all <laughs> over the world. How many countries have you been in so far? You know, it's funny. Uh, it, it's quite insane, but I, I couldn't even keep track. I know my, 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 it sounds so grand to say my assistant, but it's my friend that I pay that works for me. He knows better than I do, but I think this year, uh, uh, at the end of the year, would be six continents that I would have been on. Wow. So it's quite wild that you, you know, you're schlepping kind of everywhere. You know me, I say yes to every gig. I mean, I'm on the phone with you. But <laughs> it's, it's quite fascinating this year. This year in particular is my third tour, and I've been fortunate enough to work with, um, you know, in America, I work with AEG, which is a brilliant company, and with each year it gets bigger and bigger. So this year in America, we're doing 40, 42 cities, and they're adding additional dates, and then there's another 13 in the UK, and then I'll be doing uh, also other South Africa, uh, I did Singapore, I did Hong Kong, I did Amsterdam, it, it's, it's batshit crazy how many people are interested in drag in particular, you know, as, as well as drag race. I mean, these are some of these places don't even get the show. So uh, it's worked out favorable for me that over the years, because it's been like four and a half years for me, that they're actually now catching up with my season because they're like on season, what, 10, 9, I don't know, something like that. And so I'm season six. So it, Right, they're watching it on like a stone television set. Completely, which <laughs> kind of matches my face. But yeah, very similar, very similar. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm just fascinated that that many people are interested, especially globally. You know, you don't expect that when you, when you do a reality show in America, right. you know, on a closed set. You're like, okay, a couple fags in San Francisco will watch me. Maybe my dykes back in New Orleans will watch. But <laughs> I didn't think it would be this global at all. So with all the countries you've been to, which country has the best dick? You know what's funny is that you, you don't get to spend much time. Now, I have to tell you, uh, Amsterdam. Before I went to Amsterdam, someone said you're going to love Amsterdam and that people are really, really nice and that all the guys have huge dicks. Huge. And I thought, well, that's kind of ironic because in America, <laughs> if you have a huge dick, you don't have to be nice. Exactly. So was, <laughs> that's why I'm so that, nice. Uh, is that what it is? <laughs> Fucking pleasant. Um, no, uh, Amsterdam, I have to say. I mean, they're, I mean, they're just free there. I mean, they can smoke weed on the street. Those people don't give a fuck, so it makes life a lot easier. You know, I'm sure it's like that in Colorado now, but it's it's just one of those things where I think when you don't have any angst or any issues and you're just walking around with a joint, you know, life, nothing shocks you. You know, they're a little freer than most. So I would say Amsterdam is definitely the place where, where the action happens. And you, you know, I've heard let's this face from... It, I mean, Let's face it, with my face, it looks better in a red, than a red light. You know, let's be honest. Oh, Much please. Darker. Yeah. You're gorgeous. Now, I, I always hear from drag queens that they get hit on when they're in drag, and they don't, they don't want to be. Right? Like oh, you want the opposite for me. You want to fuck when you're a dude. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing sexual about me being in drag. Uh, have you seen me? Uh, I'm, I mean, occasionally you have somebody with a clown fetish, but it's definitely <laughs> not something that I find sexual in the least. Uh, it's not amusing. Not to say... You know, that I haven't, like, passed out in makeup before and stranger things have happened. But it's definitely not a preference for me. God, no. I mean, that, that's horrible. 
at this point, you have met pretty much every big celebrity. Uh, you're oh, really? In, you have. I see, <laughs> please, I've seen you with Cher. If you've met Cher, you've met everyone. Which one? Which, well, which well, celebrity I, has been the biggest actually, twat? Well, you know, from years ago, uh, I had worked with at a, at a Broadway costume company. So over the years, that was like pre, you know, in New York, it's so normal to run into celebrities, so to speak. But when you work for a Broadway costume company, you meet several uh, people and people that would come in and out. And I mean, as celebrities nowadays, I mean, everybody's a fucking celebrity. So there's not really that, that many people. that <laughs> are Some are much nicer than most. But back in the day in the costume shop, I think the kindest I ever met was Angela Lansbury. Oh. Uh, and uh, let's see, who was a cunt? Um, uh, Elaine Stritch was a hoot, which who I loved. But um, I think the douchiest, which which I had not experienced, but I found out was there the week before me, was Raquel Welch. Oh, which really? Is kind of confusing. You probably have to Google her. But usually <laughs> the people with the least amount of talent are the biggest cunts. But that that's probably about it. Everybody else is pretty good. And once again, it's also been shocking through social media how many celebrities are, are huge Drag Race fans. You know, I mean, Wanda Sykes is a big fan of the show, and so is Neil Patrick Harris, and and. Um, uh, I mean, there's tons of those people that you find through Twitter that are just praising the show and love everything. Well, Audra McDonald, for Christ's sake. I mean, one Amazing. of the kindest, nicest, most gorgeous people on the planet. And she fucking knows who I am. That's fucking crazy shit. So, um, it, well, but you're at, you're, at, you're at the same level of fame as them, if not beyond it. You have 1.2 million Instagram followers. That's fucking insane. But what, but, what, but what does that mean in real life? You know what I mean? I probably, it I it means you sell out people, giant venues. Everywhere you go. Well, it, well I mean, it, it's, it's extremely, I'm extremely fortunate, but I think that at the minute that you get lost in the idea that that is your reality, then you're nuts. I mean, I'm fascinated that many people are interested in what I'm doing. And, you know, after 21 years in drag, it's an amazing opportunity. But I think that if you get lost in that, and I think there are a couple of the queens that are friends of mine that, that strive on that. You know, they, they live off of that. Like, how many people follow or Who's doing this? My thing is just to work. You just got to keep going. And whether I have one or two, people on Instagram is great, but I need to have at least 2,500 people in that theater. If not, nobody gets paid. So You're me, getting that's them, more of the more of the challenge. You what do you, know? what and, do you and th- it, it's still okay, well, scary. This yeah. is Scott. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you think has kind of led to this? Because, I mean, there certainly were decades and decades of where the idea of, you know, selling out an arena or something like that for a drag show seemed absurd. Like, what has... What has led to it all? Like, why why now is this such a huge thing, which it is? Well, I think that, first of all, drag in particular, uh, drag race, and, I mean, I, you know, I have to give it props. Here's a television show that, mm-hmm. you know, 80% of the show, you're out of drag. So I think it became a little more relatable for people. In the past, even the gay community hated gays. I mean, hated drag. I mean, if you were a drag queen, nobody wanted to date you, nobody wanted to bother you. I mean, you were basically that freak. Or you were trans, which is a whole other setup. Right, right. What it's about, and I think the reality show kind of humanizes us as people. I mean, for me in particular, I mean, what I do on stage is what I do on stage. I still think the same way off stage, but it also showed a different side of me. Even people that knew that I was going on the show were like, "Well, she's not going to last a day because she's a cunt." But nobody <laughs> asked about me as a person wow. prior to the show. So I think it humanizes us on a level. And, you know, here is something when I'm traveling anywhere, I was, um, I think it was Arizona that I was doing a show. And there's a young boy who's 13 years old in a pair of heels with his grandmother mm-hmm. coming to see my show. And I'm going, this is fabulous. That's and wonderful. he's like, no, me and my grandma watch the show and we love it. And I'm looking at the grandma going, I said, you do understand that I'm a little racist. She goes, what the fuck do you think I came for? <laughs> and I thought that was amusing because someone at her age couldn't come. 
But I thought it was interesting that, in general, that these are the people that are watching the show. So, you know, TV is a powerful thing, mm-hmm. and I think it's just kind of opened up people's minds to see that we're not freaks, so to speak. Um, there are some. Um, I, I also think – go ahead. No, I'm just saying that there's a, there's a likability to it. You yeah. know, you kind of forget that that's some of you. what we do. It's not our identity. Yeah, some of them, of course. There's <laughs> a hateability to some of you. Uh, I, I think what it did <laughs> – I think Drag Race did for drag what Project Runway did for design mm-hmm. in the sense that it showed people yeah. how much work and how much talent goes into it. Mm-hmm. You know, before yeah. that, people thought, oh, you just strap on a wig and a dress and you go out and you lip sync and you, and you get your tips. And, yeah. and when did you, you say strap on a wig? I, I did. For some reason, the word strap on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. You said come and strap on at the same time. I did. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> That's right. um, no, but I do think, I, I think it also shows, I mean, you know, the show in particular is, is, a, is a pretty quick process. And, you know, you're not, we don't have the luxury of doing it week to week. It's a day to day. You know, I mean, in the end, it's a television show. And so they're trying to make magic happen on a shoestring budget in a very short period of time. So it's not for everyone. And, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you go through the mill of this and you have this opportunity and then you get to travel and, and, and experience it. But I think that for me, what would help me was that it was also the, before the show, I think it was, what, 17 or 18 years of doing drag, that I knew that I'd had my fun in clubs and I knew I wanted to do more. And so it was just the option of taking that risk and saying, hey, let's go do this. And luckily there was people that believed in me that made it possible. Best of ass. My favorite episodes. Oh, we got to get Bianca back on the show. I know. I want to talk to her. We do have her daughter. We had her daughter, who was a friend of mine, not necessarily a friend of anybody else's, but she has been on the show. Oh, Pixie. Pixie. Pixie's her daughter. Do you know, her I granddaughter. Forgot, I forgot to tell you, I saw Pixie at the ferry on my way back from Fire Island. Yeah. And he was just kind of standing there by the ferry entrance. And I went, hey, I was like, hey, Caesar. And he was like, hi. That sounds like Caesar. And like, looked really pissed off. And That's I was just, just his like, face. charming as always. <laughs> Lovely to see you. I um, love you, Pixie. Someone I do love seeing and has been on the show many, many times, although not recently. We got to get him back, and it's Marty Thomas. Yeah. Marty Thomas is kind of a legendary figure on the cabaret scene. He's a Broadway actor and singer, he's a Broadway uh, hairstylist, mm-hmm. a fabulously talented and lovely person. He's been our guest co host many times and a guest many times. Um, Steve, what do you like about Marty? So I actually first met Marty. I was doing a benefit uh, that was done at the Wicked Theater, and I performed uh, not alongside, actually, yes, alongside him. um, And I heard him singing with his little troupettes, or whatever he calls them, his backup singers. Mm -hmm. And they are awesome. Um, So when I heard this episode and he dropped his single, uh, I forget what it's called. Oh God! Slow dancing slow with dan- a boy. Slow dancing with a boy. The song is so incredible. It's such a great mashup that I wanted to add it to my repertoire. Um, but yeah, that's that's why I picked this episode is specifically because the song is awesome. Well, unfortunately, we don't play that song on the show, on the episode, or in the clip. But we mm. do play uh, another song from his album, and it's the longest music clip we've ever played on the ass, other than the holiday specials. Um, we had a great conversation with uh, Marty about his inspiration for the album. Um, which was about seeing a high school boy who went to prom with his boyfriend mm-hmm. and was warmly supported by his friends and the community. We had kind of a lengthy discussion about our high school prom experiences and how homophobia has shaped us. It's a really interesting uh, interview, so thank you for picking it. And this is uh, Marty Thomas back on, uh, oh, with Ryan Frosted co-hosting, of course. 
back on October 26th, 2019. Our in-studio guest today is a returning ass favorite. Not only has he been a guest, he's been a guest co-host numerous times, but we haven't seen him in a while because he's been busy working on a new album entitled Slow Dancing with a Boy. Here's a taste of the vocal stylings of Marty Thomas. I'm in the corner watching you kiss me. Oh, I'm right over here. Why can't you see me? Oh, I'm giving it my own, but I'm not the girl you're taking home. Ooh, I keep dancing on my own, on my own. Pretending he's beside me All along I walk with him till morning Without him I feel his arms around me And when I lose my way I close my eyes And although I know that he is blind, still I say there's a way for us, oh, a place for us. And joining us now in studio is Broadway and cabaret star Marty Thomas. Marty, so beautiful. Marty, Thank I don't you. usually really I don't usually beautiful. play that much of a song because we're not a music podcast, but I didn't want to cut it because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. What a, and that note you hit the. What is that? What note is that? You got me. I try yeah. not to tell myself because then maybe it won't happen again. It. This is. I so think it's lovely. a D or E a in that land. It's so good. Thanks, man. This album. Is uh, it? Th- what's the theme? Uh, it's a very personal album. It on a, it's. I mean, I know artists say this, but it's a labor of love because you know we're not in a time where musicians make a lot of money no. releasing music. Um, even if you're a major label artist, touring is what makes you money. Right. Albums aren't really your bread and butter. Um, but as an independent artist, you really have to be passionate about what you're what you're making. Uh, it, this all started, um, you and I chatted a little bit about this online, but it, uh, it all started with, uh, on Grindr. Yes. Uh, the project all started with a, um, uh, an article that I came across, like a Buzzfeed style article that was, um, about a boy going to prom. And on first glance, uh, I saw a boy going to a prom with another boy, which hit me in a way that really kind of shocked me because I'm very open-minded. I see myself as a very liberal human but my and you're um, gay i'm gay my brain uh deceived me and immediately went to god i hope they didn't hurt him yeah. i hope he's okay and i opened the article expecting to see some sort of traumatic event which there wasn't it was just like a really arbitrary article about a kid going to prom and he could have been going to a prom boy and girl 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 boy boy it just didn't yeah. matter and it wasn't buzzfeed trying to pat themselves on the back to 
excited at how liberal they were and what a cool story they had sold. It was a picture of this boy at the top of the stairs with his, with his date. His parents were taking a picture of it to commemorate it, to celebrate it. He's dancing with his friends at the dance, and nobody's 10 feet away, confused if it's okay to dance next to him. He gets his picture taken. One of the boys wins prom king. And I just went down a wormhole of shame and uh, really had a lot to unpack. Because shame as, as far as internalized shame from when you were that age. Some, some shamed for putting this kid in a box uh-huh. and, expect, and expecting the least of these teenagers. Right, seeing this as a negative. Right. And then the shame hit and transcended into my own life of uh, realizing that that part of my life I was just kind of robbed of. Willingly, I gave up that part of my life. Did to, you not go to prom at all? I went. I did everything um, you were supposed to do. And somehow in my head, I had convinced myself that I didn't deserve to have an organic experience at a school dance. I wasn't worth that. Or because, an orgasmic one. Right. I didn't get that either. <laughs> um, but I got all of these experiences. So the answer is still out there of like... I just didn't get to look around a room and say organically, who am I attracted to and who would I enjoy spending a school dance and like a moment in time, which seems so silly, but it's a coming of age story that so many of us were robbed of because we didn't feel confident or safe. It's so true. You're, you're making me think back to my own proms and I, I went to two proms. I took women to both obviously. And my memory is that I had a great time, but you're right. Like we were, we were playing a part, playing a part, we were play acting. We took beards. Like, literally, yeah, we make yeah. fun of other gay And men. I fooled around with mine, too. Really? I did have orgasms with mine. <laughs> well, of course you did. <laughs> because, yeah, I'm just never going to not have sex um, <laughs> if, if there's an opportunity. But, yeah, like, uh, how amazing it must be for young people nowadays, if you live in a, in a tolerant place, right? Um, to be able to take someone that you actually want and are attracted to and maybe in love with to your prom as opposed to, like, your best girlfriend. Right. Your fag hag. And then how does that manifest itself um, in the rest of your life if you set that precedent that you're willing to manipulate the truth and tell a lie to make everybody around you comfortable, your church, your family, your friends, whatever? And I just, with this project, started going down that wormhole of how many lies have I told in my life because I didn't feel like I was good enough or enough or smart enough or good-looking enough or successful enough when I started that precedent of a lie will make everyone around me okay with me and I'll fit in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started thinking about this school dance and this kid and like, what, what if my parents had wanted to take a picture of me with another boy or wanted to take a picture of me to share with their friends for who I was, not for the they lie, wanted you, to be, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And how could that have changed my life as an artist if I didn't waste so much time coming up with new and bigger lies about who I was and what I wanted, you know? Although at the same time, I think a lot of gay men become artists because we have to play this, this role and we become so good at playing this Possible. role that we can play other roles. Possible. You know, and we develop that artistic side, that internal life. Um, I'm not saying homophobia is a good thing, but I'm saying in some ways, I think we, we take what we're handed and we we create beauty and art out of it, even if it's a terrible thing that we're handed. Yeah. Which is the good side of it. Um, the, you know, there's so many bad sides of it that just like you said, when you think about your own experience, I had never thought about my experience as being a negative one yeah. until I saw this experience of this kid and went, Holy mother, if I had been able to, and then I think I was able to, I just didn't. Right.
my favorite episodes. The great Marty Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, so if, great. if you're interested in hearing more, you guys, all these episodes are available in full on Apple Podcasts. So go back and listen to the whole episode if you want. Yeah, you should. Now, this next episode that Steve chose uh, made history because it was the first and only time I've ever made out with a guest on the air. Allegedly. No, I made out with her. This was Honey <laughs> Dad. Yeah, she did. No, I meant the first and only. I meant there's probably more that we just don't know Maybe about. Maybe off the air. Could be. Could be. <laughs> this was, um, this was uh, Honey Davenport from Drag Race and a legend here in New York. And uh, Honey was out of drag and looking quite handsome, as he always is. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was actually from February 2020, which means it's one of the last live shows we did before COVID. Oh, right. Honey had just very publicly quit working at the Monster Bar here in mm -hmm. New York City after accusing the management of racism and colorism. It made a huge splash at the time, and um, a lot of people boycotted the Monster. I don't know if they still are or if that was ever resolved. I don't go to the Monster, so it's not really a concern for yep. me. But we talked about that. Um, what else do you have to say about this episode, Steve, we, <laughs> other than the famous kiss? So... I, you know, I think, although you have this in the notes, this was my first time co-hosting, so I was, oh, yeah. I was traumatized that this is what type of show I was getting myself into. My mother would be proud. My father, fuck him. But it would be just a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful time. Um, I do remember that he was wearing a very cute outfit. He talked about his new music. Um, but, yeah, I think my favorite part of the show was, was uh, being indoctrinated into the show with a very sexual, delicious tongue-tied knots between two beautiful people. Talacious? I don't know. Is talacious a word? I think you mean salacious. And salacious. <laughs> but uh, here it is. Honey Davenport and I making out on the air, episode 125 from February 2020. I've been in New York for like four days and I haven't even gotten laid here yet. Can you believe that? Well, we are going to change that after I know, the show. I know. Right? I always forget how beautiful you are as a man. Oh, shit. Thank you. Stop. Keep talking. <laughs> I, get, I get nervous talking to you up close. Really? Cause, yeah, because your face is like stunning and I, I just, I kind of want to lean over and kiss you. Oh, that's always, that's, I appreciate that. I told you I haven't gotten laid in the last four days. So. Maybe at the end of the interview, we'll kiss. Oh, yeah, I'm down for that. Oh, okay, yeah, there we go. All right, honey, which podcast host would you most like to fuck? Out of the three of you? <laughs> or the whole universe? Oh, out of the whole universe. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know the whole universe of podcasts. Like, everybody has a fucking podcast. I know. Guys. Basically, right. it's anyone you'd like to fuck. I mean, I think you. I think you could definitely get that. Yay! I'm so happy that was the right answer. <laughs> okay, good. What's the? Uh, I think we may have just talked about this, but what's the worst gig you ever had? Oh, uh, the worst gig I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, I, I even had some good nights at the monster, but like the worst gig I've ever like had. Like the single worst night when you the showed up and you were like, "This is bullshit." Oh, oh, okay, I can say this now, but it wasn't, like, the establishment's fault. It was totally mine. It was the old boots and saddle one day, but I showed up, but the night before, I had went to a Lady Gaga concert, and I did Molly, so that was the worst thing oh, God. I have ever had in my entire life, because, like, Lady Gaga wasn't there anymore, neither was Molly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I once did a comedy show coming down from ecstasy, and it was the worst it's I've the ever worst. been on stage. Yeah, it's the worst. I walked into the old boots and saddle, and Frosty Flakes, who was a drag queen in New York City, said hi to me, and I was like... How dare you say hi to me? Do you always say hi to me when I walk in the room? I was tripping wow. on the way down. <laughs> hi, Dios. All right. Who's the greatest drag queen of all time? The greatest drag queen of all time um, would be... Um, 
Fuck, that's really a real ass question. The greatest drag queen of all time. Um, the one who ins- who's inspired you the most. Well, the one who's inspired me the most. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be real here. RuPaul is the blueprint. Yeah. She is the blueprint yeah. for what drag and success are. Like, that's um, that's really real. But to call her the greatest drag queen of all time, uh, I think that like I consider Marsha B. Johnson as a drag queen, and she's done a lot mm-hmm. for me as well. Yes. Um, uh, Lady Bunny is an awesome drag queen, and even though she did not take my side at the monster, um, <laughs> I, I hope to forgive her for that one day. And uh, she's done she's a lot. She's a Bernie for me. bro. She's problematic. For uh, me. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Would, she's crazy on Twitter. She's, she's not. She'd rather Trump get reelected than than. Anyone other than Bernie. That's really In other words, strange. it's got to be Bernie or fucking she's going to vote for Trump. Like, she's insane. That's really, that's really, it's really strange. But, you know, it's funny that sometimes even our ancestors, ancestors, wow, just. <laughs> <laughs> Shade. Even, even the older people in the queer community who have been progressive, like Lady Bunny, I think of her as such a fighter. And, yeah. like, to see even her stance on things like the monster, it was just really disheartening. But look at Roseanne. Roseanne used to be a hero of yeah. working class poor people, you know, women, gay people. Now she's fucking right-wing yeah. troll. Like, right. people go crazy, I think. And I want to say that I do still love and support the Lady Bunny. I just didn't like I do not. Yeah. Honey, what's, <laughs> what's a lie that you tell all the time? I still like and support the, love, the Lady Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer ever. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, name something... <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Name something really annoying that fans do to you all the time. Um, oh, fans always ask me all the time, uh, what um, RuPaul, what like RuPaul secret I have for them, or what RuPaul is like, or or my favorite, my favorite, least favorite thing is, was RuPaul nice to you? Like who the fuck? Cares? They want to, they want you to spill tea on RuPaul. They want to know if she was nice to us, like not specifically spill tea on her. Like they just want to know if she was kind. Like it's always just the strangest fucking question. It's like, why does everybody want to know how she treated us? Like the things she said to me were aired, and they were so little that I can't even. Think. <laughs> but I think I think they're asked because I'm curious too. Like off camera, does she speak with you at all, or is she just I mean, like in her own little palace? I, I think that from you see everything that is like you see a piece of at least of everything that we experience, you know, and like so it's always just like it's like what the fuck do you think that like you know she like chilled with us and had pizza afterwards? I mean, like come on, do you think yeah. that Simon Cowell does that with the cast of American Idol? Like you know, like it, I think the she, narrative that's the same as any other reality yeah. show host does. I think the problem is there's two narratives with RuPaul. One is that like she's this amazingly evolved. He's this amazingly evolved, um, sensitive person who really cares about other people and, like, really roots for you guys and wants you to succeed. And then the other one is that, like, he's garbage and he only cares about the money and the ratings and doesn't give a shit about anyone but himself. And so we all want to know, like, which one is true? Well, I will say one thing that is true. RuPaul picks each contestant herself. So, like, how is she not rooting for us? She self-picked yeah. every person. And once you're on that there. show, you, you have a world of opportunities yeah, that you like, didn't have before. How is she not rooting for you after that? Like, it's not, that's not, that's not fake. So yeah. that, that is, I will say, is real. She, like, has said that to our faces. Like, I picked y'all personally. Out of the thousands that, I, that were submitted, I picked y'all. So be grateful. Right. Like, <laughs> JB, how much time we have? 
Two minutes left. Okay. okay, quickly tell me about your project with Asia. I know you did a song together. Aja, with Aja. Oh, yeah. I'm such an asshole. No, Aja. A, no, I'm, I'm releasing a new song with Aja on the 21st of this month. It is a social justice piece. It's a call to action. Um, it's the, like, kind of uh, the, the last, like, hurrah of my music that I consider, like, the protest part of my life. It's called Draw the Blood, and it's inspired by a Martin Luther King quote, which is, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends amazing uh, and uh it's a a really good stance for uh and a really good uh i think um explanation of how it feels to be a person of color and watch people say nothing and you can see and hear honey's music on her drag for fans page i'm gonna kiss you now can i kiss you mm-hmm, absolutely right. is your instagram still on mm-hmm. <laughs> it is <laughs> you narrate what's going on i have coffee breath so they they are making out they are oh and there's uh Eyes are closed. This is the most action Dean Nostra has ever seen. Adam's mouth is, is very. Oh, oh, there's tongue. There's, there, a, there's tongue. Is this church tongue? Um, I, I think I think we should oh God, probably end the show. I, oh, we got that was so much fun. That was the first <laughs> an ass first, Tony Davenport. Yeah. Best of ass. My favorite episodes. <laughs> I love you, honey. So great. So um, this next one that you chose, the title of the episode is Adam Interviews an Asshole. This is our most controversial episode ever, June 5th, 2021. This is when I interviewed a Canadian podcast host and author and comedian, quote unquote, who shall remain nameless, um, who then went on his own podcast and trashed me without even using my name. Oh, that kind. Mm. So we... <laughs> oh, you did a really... That was a really good interview. Wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So we went back and I had JB delete all of the references to his book um, in retribution. But anyway, that's not even the part that Steve is interested in. Steve, tell the listeners what you chose from this episode. So just like Honey, there is a little bit more of, of a sexual uh, love that we like to share here on The Ass. And this is love that Adam shared at his apartment. And what he talks about is he opens the door to the quote-unquote FedEx delivery man, and what he got delivered was not a package, but a load. I wish it were a load. It didn't even go that far. But... Uh, but yes, yeah, so this was a little story I told that Steve found memorable. This was with Ryan co-hosting uh, episode 189. Take a listen. Okay, so now let's Wait, get on to... Before we Sorry, get, JB. Before we move on to the next story, there's a story that we didn't do from last week I'm real excited about. It was the first one. Uh, the one that shows up to your apartment. Oh, yeah. So this happened. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> this happened a couple weeks ago. Classic Adam. I uh, was working from home, as I do now every day. And my door buzzer went off. Now, I live in an apartment building. There's like 26 units in the building. If UPS or FedEx or Amazon or the postman shows up, it doesn't matter what, which apartment he has a package for, they buzz me. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm the worst person to buzz because I have a dog who loses her fucking shit every yeah. time the buzzer goes off All and time. barks for 20 minutes. So it's infuriating to me, but I've just kind of learned to live with it. So I get a buzz, and ladies going crazy as usual, and I, and then you know I I look into the little buzzer device, and I see an unfamiliar face with a mask on, which is always what I see, and I'm like, hello, and I hear, so I'm like, okay, I guess it's a delivery person. I buzz them in, and I'm thinking that's the end of it. They're just going to leave the package in the foyer and go. Two minutes later. Knock at the door. Now lady's like apoplectic, like she's fucking having a heart attack. 
I'm like, ugh, why are they knocking? I open the door, and there's this very beautiful black man standing there, and he starts to walk into my apartment. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, what? can I help you? He goes, yeah, you invited me over. <gasps> and I go, no, I didn't. And he goes, this is 4C, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you told me to come over. And I said, was this on Grinder? He goes, yeah. I go, I haven't been on Grinder today. He's like, oh, man, that's the address the guy gave me. I go, let me see. So he shows me the chat on his Grinder, and it's someone who lives in the next building. <laughs> so he had the right apartment number, but the wrong, wrong building, building number. So he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And he starts to walk away, and I go, wait a second. <laughs> ah, yes. Wait a second. I go, wait. Well, you fine I was like, you're kind of hot. Would you like to come in? He goes, okay. Yeah, he goes, I got to tell this other guy that I'm not coming. I go, okay. So he wow. comes in, and we start to fool around, and his dick comes out, and it's like a nice size. And I start sucking it, and it starts to get bigger. And then it gets bigger. And then it gets... And every time I think it's reached its peak, it's like... Continues to grow. But meanwhile, he's on his phone, like, furiously texting with this other guy. (gasps) And at a certain point, he just kind of stops me, and he's like, I really got to go. He's really upset with me. I got to go. Oh, my God. I was like, can I get your number? He's like, okay. So he gives me his number. I text him right away, like, hey, it's me. We just met. I sucked your dick. And uh, I don't hear from him. And then, like, late that night, I was just lying in bed thinking about him. And I go, so, I said, was the other guy more or less fun than me? And he wrote back, he was fun. Uh, Okay. And that was all. Okay. Well, I mean... The fact that that even happened <laughs> is just... That's an only in New York story. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it really is. And I have thought that I, I have... That has never happened to me on on either end, but I have been very close. Or, 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 or like, leaving my phone in someone's apartment and then thinking, like, oh, God, what, what apartment was it? Like, I have to go back and get it. Like, stuff like that happened, has happened to me, but not, not what you described. It's not... That's amazing. When you think about it, it's not that surprising that it would happen in my neighborhood, which yeah. is almost entirely gay men. Horse Kitchen. Uh, Horse Kitchen is right. But um, Trevor, if you're listening. Trevor. (laughs) Trevor. I think he was Caribbean. He had an accent of some Mm. kind, and I couldn't quite place it. But he was very beautiful. Beautiful face, beautiful body. Well, now he knows where you live. Magical dick. He's just going to show up, you know, one of these days. I I hope he gets another wrong number and winds up at my apartment. (laughs) Best of ass. My favorite episodes. You know, he texted me, like, not that long ago. Really? Just out of the blue. And he was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, do you know who you're texting? Because it was, <laughs> it was like, so long ago. He's like, I think so. And I was like, yeah, you showed up at my apartment accidentally, and I blew you. And he was like, oh, yeah. But I don't think he remembered. I think he thought he was texting someone else. And I was like, I'd love to do it again. And he was like, yeah, definitely. Did the text and I never like heard this? from him again. Hey. Hey, you up? Hey, what's up? What's up? Now, horny? <laughs> you need bread? <laughs> so, listeners, the quick the, the quick thing about that you need bread is we were at the Hoods Campground. I don't know if you've heard of this before because we clearly never talk about it here on the Adam Sanction. <laughs> but this guy texted me, and the only on grinder. On, no, a, a grinder. Scruff, scruff, scruff. He texted me, and he goes, "You need bread." B R E D. Yeah. And then a few hours later. I'm horny.
<laughs> he was a man of very few words. <laughs> like bread as in money or actually No, bread? as in do you need to be bread? Yeah. But oh, he was so bread. horned up or <laughs> on drugs or whatever that yeah. all that came out was you need bread. <laughs> and then we're all going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> God, we're dumb. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, anyway, I don't even know what we're talking about. Okay. So um, this next one that you chose is uh, from 2021, and it's the first time I had Dolph Dietrich on the show. Um, at the time, Pat, Ryan was co-hosting. My boyfriend at the time, Patrick, was there. And Dolph was... He had just gone through a really public breakup with Jack McEnroth. They subsequently got back together and appeared on the show together just a few weeks later. But this is when things were still kind of dicey. Dolph was also about to headline Pig Week in Fort Lauderdale. So we talked to him about that. We talked to him about sex work. What is it about this interview that you like so much, Steve? Uh, you know what? It was so honest and so raw. And the interview that you gave, like, you just did not hold back. And he answered every question that you had and you sort of were able to understand his story. And, uh, I believe he talked a little bit about his partner and, and how his partner dealt with it. Um, but I just appreciated sort of the, the seriousness of the interview and, and how good, uh, I think the outcome came from that interview the outcome, meaning like it was just a really great story and something to hear. And he's a lovely person. Yeah. So here's Dolph Dietrich talking to us on October 9th, 2021 episode 206. And we should say you're going to be headlining at Pig Week. <laughs> yes. Which, Patrick, Ooh. I think you and I need to consider uh, going to Pig Week. It yeah. is where? It's in Wilton Manors, right? Fort Lauderdale. Yes. November okay. 26th through December 4th. So, All right. Now, how does one prepare to headline in Pig Week? <laughs> well, this is my second time doing it. Um, excuse me. I'm trying to remember the first time I did it. I think it was one of the first years they were around. So it's, it's some go-go dancing. There's like a, a, a porn star lottery. So you can I remember I had to auction myself off at the pool at this and the host winner, hotel. And the winner gets to have sex with you? Yeah. And I That's have, scary. I had the role of uh, tickets on my dick. So I went around and was just <laughs> but shaking what if, it. If the person who wins you is someone you're not attracted to at all. How do you oh, that's my it? life. That's my life. I really? mean, come on, yeah. I mean, you can just get it up no matter what. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there are, are magic, magic treats there for that. Are. Yeah. There are tools. Yeah, there are tools for that. Well, you mentioned dating. You mentioned Blue and Drew. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Jack? Sure. You a little bit. You and I were together. Uh, not together, but we were on the same vacation in Cancun in May. Yeah. And you suddenly had to leave in the middle of the week. Right. And what followed was this very public, messy breakup between you and Jack McEnroth, who's a friend of mine <clears throat> and a friend of the show. He's been on this show. And it was crazy for a while there. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was what the fuck happened? <laughs> well, um, I don't really want to go into too much detail about it, but he's... Oh, sorry, sorry. about that. Um, no problem. He... he <sighs> I, he's been very open about his struggle with substance abuse. Yes. And I didn't... It's kind of like being a frog in a cold water that just starts to boil. Because I didn't know. I didn't really know what was happening when we were together. And he... I I didn't know about this about this category of drug called benzodiazepines. Di diazepam. Mm -hmm. uh, they're basically Xanax that he was very addicted to. Downers. Um, they shut your mind down. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd been, you know, long before I met him for 10 years struggling with that. And 
not really knowing what was happening to him, and it just takes over your body, takes over your mind, and it sort of hit a culmination at that point when I was with you on vacation. And, um, yeah, he had a break with reality, but he's doing great now. And, yeah, that's all I can say about that. And are you guys back together now? <laughs> um, there are certain things I can't really talk about <laughs> due to uh, some legal things. Right. So, But is it safe to say you're on good terms? Um. It's safe to say that we'd be on no terms at all, which I have to say because of the uh, order of protection. I see. No. I have to say, when it was going on, and, and you know, if you don't want to get into the specifics, we don't have to, but he made a lot of very, very ugly, untrue allegations against you. Yeah. And I have to say, you handled it, I thought, with uncommon grace. Thank you. And they're still handling it with uncommon grace and not... Uh, you never attacked him. You yeah. never went after him publicly, and you actually told your followers not to yeah. uh, troll him. Yeah. What was that such experience like for you, though, oh. during that those kind of, I'll call them the messy weeks? Um, it was really scary. It was very scary. I had to call 911 many times. Um, I was concerned for my safety, and... I got shingles. <laughs> I was like... Oh, you I thought, weren't vaccinated. No, no, no. Well, no. Um, I mean, I thought it was stress hives, and the doctor said it was sh stress shingles, which was great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my alopecia came back, my hair started falling. It was very, 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 very stressful. I just don't even... What got you through it? Um, I had a few close friends, just a few that I was able to talk to about it. Um, my dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, basically that's all I could really do is just hang on by my fingertips, and, and I got through it. Um, and then Jack, um, you know... He, he recanted. He recanted everything. Um, he ended up having a seizure and went to the hospital and then went directly from the hospital into rehab. And, um, yeah, and he's doing a lot better now. So Thank God. Yeah, he's doing great, and I think he's... Um, I'm not sure how many days sober, but he's, he's really doing good. I think it was a life-changing experience for him. definitely was. And, yeah. We talk about sex work a lot on this show, and all of us believe that sex work is work and that it's a legitimate profession and sex workers should be protected and have rights. Mm. But it is a profession in which there seems to be a lot of trauma. Yeah. There are a lot of suicides. There's a lot of addiction. I'm thinking specifically of people we lost way too early, like Eric mm. Rhodes and Arpad Miklos and Josh Weston. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is about the industry that either attracts people who are already in crisis or perhaps creates crisis for people who would otherwise be healthy? Do you think there's something toxic about the work itself? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't, I can only speak for myself. Uh, I, I didn't think that sex work was where I would end up um, and it definitely has a lot of traps to it that you could fall down and, you know, get hurt. Um, fortunately for me, I, I've always, I've escaped. I just want to be clear about the drug addiction. It wasn't a shared um, right. experience. I don't do drugs. I'm very anti-drug. And, you know, back in the 90s, like I said, I did a lot of coke, but that was about it. Right. And I've never touched meth. I've never Thank touched God. any drugs like that because I've seen it destroy too many people. And I don't want people to assume that because of the line of business I'm in or the kind of porn that I produce that I would ever be involved in that. So people like me can definitely be drug-free and 
and contributing members of the society without being a mess or whatever you want that. So I don't like that. Um, I don't like that stereotype that a, a porn star would be necessarily lost or hopeless. But clearly there are many who make it work and, ha and are sure. happy, successful um, people with balanced lives. It just seems like, and, and maybe it's just that because they're porn stars and they're famous, quote unquote, we yeah. hear about them more than we hear about bankers or lawyers or other professions where people are having these same struggles. Yeah. But you don't think there's anything about porn or sex work specifically that, that you know, draws people to, to darkness, into darkness. I don't. I, and all I can really say about that, again, from my own view, is that it has been, you know, one of my couple careers that I've had in my life, and it's brought me the most friendships that I've ever had, um, the greatest times, the greatest experiences. I really don't have anything bad to say about it. I mean, I wish the money were better. It's not, it's not <laughs> a huge moneymaker like people think it might be, but... Other than that, I, I really have not seen a dark side to it for myself. Good. Except for, you know, I don't really consider what Jack and I went through to be associated with porn. We never had problems working together. We worked together. We had uh, sex work clients together. There was never an issue with any of that. Never any jealousy. Um, it was unfortunately just a substance. Best of ass. My favorite episodes. <clears throat> The great Dolph Dietrich. You know, I see him and Jack pretty much every day at my gym. Aww. They're happy and together, and they both look great. They should come back on so that I can uh, have my ass open to the wind. And ass open to the wind. Stick it in. Ass open to the wind. Uh, yeah, I think you have to pay for that because they don't play oh, separately honey. unless it's I for don't, work. I don't pay. Same <laughs> sis. I don't. I don't pay. I pay with these cakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you got interested in these cakes, they have nothing else to offer mm -hmm. you. That's it. <laughs> you need bread. I need bread. <laughs> I do need bread. <laughs> <laughs> now, this next episode, uh, I'm glad you picked this one, Steve, because this is actually one of the episodes I'm most proud of. Um, this was Ben Unger, fitness trainer who grew up gay in the ultra-Orthodox <laughs> Jewish community. And what makes Ben Unger a very significant guest is he's the only guest that was then hit on, <laughs> slid into DMs by both Steve and JB. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben, if you're listening, our asses are still open if you're ready. Both of you stalked him. Listen, Whoa. just because okay. I ended up going to his gym and trying to get him to train me does yeah, not he mean... he did the stalking. Okay. Yeah, how long did that last, by the way, Steve? I went for three months, and then I moved. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben's a great guy. He, he has a crazy story about um, being sent to a conversion camp and ultimately not only escaping from that community but suing that conversion camp out of existence. Yeah. Um, he's an amazing guy. He described in detail some of the batshit crazy things that went on during his conversion therapy. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to the full episode, I really urge you to. It's one of my favorites. Episode 224 from February 26, 2022. Take a listen. Uh, ben, I've been quietly stalking you for years uh, <laughs> because you're hot. Thank you. But that's <laughs> only part of the reason I wanted you on the podcast. You and I were at the same gay Super Bowl party a couple we weeks were. back. We were. That was a lot of fun. It was fun. And that's when I found out that you had been raised in this ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and I've always been fascinated as, a, as someone who grew up as a Reformed, secular Jew by this community and how... Um, how strict and rigid it is, and I know it's hard for anyone to leave that community, gay or straight. How, how how were you able to leave? 
So I actually got very lucky in the sense that I have awesome parents. And somehow, you know, I lived in a community where the community itself was super strict and my family followed the rules of the community. But for some reason, my parents, as they got older, became a little bit more progressive. And uh, when I finally uh, came out to them, my, my first coming out wasn't really, hey, I'm gay, this is who I am. It was more so, I have a problem. And what do we do with this? And um, my mom's first reaction was pretty much, I love you, um, but we can deal with this. And they, they did eventually, I, wouldn't, I don't like using the word send me to conversion therapy. They supported me in my journey in conversion therapy because they were kind of clueless themselves. And you actually wanted to go. I wanted to change. I, I mean, my, I, we, I followed everything my rabbi said back then. And, you know, I was 18, 19 years old and you get married at 20, 21. You have 12 babies by 28 and that's the life, right? How many so, brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother, one sister. Oh, so that's unusual, right? Yeah, so they were a little bit more progressive. Like I said, um, my brother has 10 kids though, so he's making up for Whoa. lost time, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my sister has, has four kids, my brother has 10 kids and I'm pending, so we'll see what happens there. Now, within the ultra-Orthodox community, you were explaining this to me at the party, there are different uh, sects, let's call them, uh, when I think of ultra-Orthodox here in New York, I think of the men in the furry hats with the long beards and the peyote right. and, and the uh, long black coats. That wasn't your family or it was? So my brother is like that, and that was the community I grew up in. Um, my parents were, my dad was like that, and then just, uh, I guess, transitioned into just the yarmulke. Where, you know, it wasn't like the fur hat and the long payas. Right. It was, you know, yarmulke, bend down, black hat. I'm sure you've seen yes. all these different hats, which, which means nothing. But um, I never had the long payas, but I had the tzitzit, which are the strings the fringe, coming out of the side. Out, yeah. um, and no talking to girls. That was the right. biggest so no-no. Tell, no. tell me about what the rules were. The basic wow. rules. I mean, I know there's, a, there's 613 laws in the Torah, but you know, the basic rules of life when you grow up in that community. Um, so the, the funny thing is, as, as a gay man, uh, no talking to girls was probably the biggest one. Um, and I felt horrible for my classmates. I mean, they would always kind of go crazy and, and the, the sexual tension was real in, high, in all boys high school. But there was that, uh, keeping the Shabbat. I'm sorry, so you're saying because you were denied the company of girls, the boys were like into each other? I, I, I don't. I don't know if they were into each other. So I'm sure there there, there was that. Um, but and I I've, I found out later in life that uh, there was stuff going on in yeshiva, but um, just a lot of like tension, you know, like pent up tension. And we were in we were in Jewish school in high school. We were picked up at 7 a.m. We got home at 9 p.m. every day. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we were off from school Friday night and Shabbat, but we were there on Sunday. Um, so I would say uh, no girls, Shabbat was a big one, uh, prayer three times a day, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but just be very, very Orthodox Jewish. It, it wasn't just like a, a rule system, it was a way of life, and the more you can be that, the better of a human being you were. Right. Was your primary language English or Yiddish? Uh, English. Okay. Yeah. Because there are families in that community that speak mostly Yiddish, and, and 
in a way, it's almost like you're growing up in the United States, but you're not really American. Right, right. A different right. language, different culture. So yeah, some, some Hebrew, um, but and a little Yiddish, but mostly English. So you go to conversion therapy at the age of 20. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. What happened to you? Oh, man. Um, it's really, you know, it's, it was, it's actually kind of a blur, believe it or not, because it's so weird. Um, you kind of just go along with it because you think this is what you need to do, but it's also like, what's happening here? This is bizarre. So they basically teach you that it's your mom's fault, of course. you got to blame the mother. So um, For being too clingy. Too... Too, if you're too close to you, your mother, you become gay, which would mean, I, I would say that, that was 98% of Jewish boys. Right, would be every homosexual. Jewish boy yeah. would be gay. Yeah, I mean, I think every Jewish boy would be gay at this point. But um, too close to your mother. And you Italian know, and Latin. Exactly. A lot of cultures where the mom is very important. Right. Um, and, you know, not masculine enough, um, it, not close to your father. Um, and, and it got really weird when they were like, you should join a gym because if you join a gym, you'll be less gay. And then <laughs> I joined a gym and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll leave it at that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, join a gym, uh, were, my, my conversion therapist who, um, is definitely, He's an ex-gay, quote-unquote. He's definitely still a gay man. Um, is this Richard Cohen? This is uh, Alan Downing. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're talking about Richard Cohen from the CNN yes. clip. Yeah, he's really I, old news. I actually know him. I, Do you? I, I mean, I, uh, 25 years ago when I did my master's thesis on gay adoption, I interviewed him. No way. Down in uh, D.C., and I thought he was the creepiest person I've he ever met. He is so weird. And he's sort of the father of this this particular movement school that you went to this jonah program. yeah well so i don't know if you saw the clip of him like beating a pillow with a tennis racket do <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm talking yes. about so i i did that um and that's supposed to be your mother that's supposed to be my mother but the weirdest part of this whole thing was they sent us on a weekend called journey into manhood mm. and it was in, i've been on similar <laughs> have you i'm sure i've heard <laughs> uh it was in the it was like in the woods uh you had to give in your cell phone electronics and they did some exercises there that were weird man like really weird right, give me an example um so they tried to recreate uh having a loving uh relationship with your father from an early age so they would have these much older counts ex-gay counselors there and you know i was 18 there were 19 year olds 20 year olds and there was a um a practice where they would play sort of um this childlike music like almost like nursery music i guess mm -hmm. and you would have to uh kind of cuddle up in the arms of these counselors and they would rock you back and forth saying i love you i know this is this is gonna get really weird guys i'm just letting you know i don't and know what did, you're expecting then no, didn't you have to take naked showers with them too so um, or with your dad they encourage this is in regular conversion therapy they they encourage me to be as naked uh to be naked with my father as often as possible can you imagine this it's, oh my god and, and the, the good thing you know I, i'm lucky in the sense that i get weirded out very easily so i didn't participate i didn't go to my dad and was like hey like Let's can get you, naked together. Can we get <laughs> naked and like like tumble in the mud or something? Like we didn't do that, and I didn't participate in the the cuddling either. You um, didn't. I did not. I, I found it just like I was like something is not right, and I I would see people do it, and I was just like maybe I should do it because I believe these people sort of, but I just 
don't know if I can do this. Um, and you were able to say no? I'm surprised they didn't force you. They, they allowed you to say no, but you can tell there was, like, disappointments. Mm-hmm. You know, like, daddy's not, daddy's upset with you. Sort of like that. Uh, there was another scene, and this, this, is just, this is the weirdest of them all, I'll just say it quickly. Um, so there were different bunkhouses that were doing different, um, different things to uh, cure your uh, SSA, which stood for same-sex attraction disorder. Um, and I walk in, and everyone is naked, holding hands in a circle. Uh, counselors, uh, uh, clients, whatever we were called. And in the middle, um, you guys ready for this? In the middle, there was uh, a naked uh, man there who was there like me as a participant, uh, just sort of crying. And there was an ex-gay counselor there, also naked, holding two tangerines in his hand. And I found out that this counselor was playing the role of this man's mother and was screaming, I have your balls, come get them. And, And then the scene sort of was the guy running over and grabbing the balls and the counselor sort of yanking them away and everyone started, was like, chanting. It was like the most... What was, like was the, the nudity for? Yeah, like, this is really gay. Like, <laughs> is it really gay? I, I, and I also, gay. because these are all gay... Like, these ex-gay counselors, like... They're listen, obviously gay. They're, they're totally gay. And is anyone getting and they're hard married to lesbians. during that this? That was my question. Yeah, like... Yeah, like, did you find yourself like, getting aroused ever? I was... Uh, I was too weirded out to get aroused, but they would—they actually would explain to us that if there was um, arousement or if anyone got erect, it doesn't mean that there's attraction involved. It just means that there's—you know—that's just the way your physical body reacts to a lot of things, like the wind. And it sounds to me like this is just an excuse to get all the boys naked yes. so they could see yeah. them and cradle them. And it, it sounds like like the biggest sexual harassment lawsuit yes. waiting to yeah. happen. Yes. My favorite episodes. Ben Unger, if you're listening, we would all like to have sex with you. Yes. Yes. Um, but I have the g- decency not to DM you about it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It was one time, one response. What, was your, was, what was your DM again? Uh, it was mostly like, I got borrowed some dick till Thursday. <laughs> and what did he write back? Uh, I'm not really interested. I have enough boys to play with. Like, Ooh, that's, that's a little good. shady. I I, th- I think I, I think I came out a lot shadier than it was supposed to be. No. That's not how that's not how I read. At least it. he wrote back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, true. I do have to say, you know, with with these past few interviews that we highlighted on on Steve's favorite shows, is that <laughs> your interview <laughs> skills are really great. Like oh, I, yes. I'm really just enjoying some of these stories and re-listening to them. So. Thank you, sweetheart. So, yeah, you know, I learned from Howard Stern. Aww. Uh, Why the, don't we have him on the show? Can we get oh him? Oh my on the god! Show? Yeah, have exactly. You asked him? Yes, every day. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, the trick, to I think, to, to really doing a good interview, and this is what I try to do every week, is you do your research, you mm. learn as much about the person as you can in advance, you ask good questions, and then you shut the fuck up and listen while they give their answers. Oh, like our dear friend, the Wanakiki. Well, unless uh. they keep interrupting you <laughs> and not letting you speak. Said his favorite thing is, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I um, actually, I think Adam's interview skills is A+. Plus, no. And I've, you know... I always thought you, the way the amount of work you put in the interviews is fucking yeah. tremendous. And then what really solidified that for me was the Dyer came up. So like you even asked me for my opinions. I was like, oh, she, oh, she's oh, so all this love coming towards me, <laughs> Daddy <laughs> Mentor. Thank you so much. Thank you both from JB and Steve. I'm, I'm yeah. kvelling, as they say in Yiddish. Um, <laughs> well, this last clip that you chose was a very important episode of the Ask because it was the official transition 
from Ryan Frostig to Steve Cesaro as co-host. Hello. The title of the show is A Farewell to Frost Pig. It was, uh, I can't believe that happened this year. Doesn't that feel like that was 10 years ago? That was January 8th, 2022, episode 217. Why did you pick this clip, Steve? Honestly, I think passing the torch uh, was a really good good thing. We learned a little bit about Ryan. We learned a little bit about me. And um, it's always good to hear a little, a little bit of the piggy. So, and it was my birthday that day. So I'm glad you picked that episode. Oh, oh, yes. It's a birthday treat. Happy <laughs> birthday again. Well, we, yeah. we played Ask Me No Questions with Ryan as with Ryan as the, you know, mm-hmm. as the interviewee. And um, during the course of that, he does, Ryan does the worst dirty talk I've ever heard. It is disturbing. I want to warn listeners, you're going to be disturbed when Ryan starts talking like a baby in bed. Oh, right. Uh, That's why I picked this episode. So, I forgot. <laughs> take a listen to Ask Me No Questions from A Farewell to Frost Pig. Finally, Ask Me No Questions with Ryan Frostig. Hit it, JB. Oh, oh fuck. Ask right. me no questions. Ask me no questions. Ask me no questions. Which, by the way, I don't know if you remember, I inspired the melody for that. Okay, what is the most embarrassing thing you've, that's ever happened to you during sex? Okay, over the summer in L.A., uh, Boy Wolf and I were having sex with a uh, very hot daddy porn couple, porn star couple, and um, the poppers got in my eye. And I had to go into the bathroom, and the daddies helped me clean it out. And then we went back to fucking. But it was really embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. that embarrassing. It's kind of sweet, actually. It was sweet, but it was embarrassing. Wildest place you've ever fucked. God, I never have a good answer for this. Um, college? The school that I went to? Like in an academic building? Like in a bathroom at school? That's boring. <gasps> I really don't have a good answer. I, I feel like I fuck in only, like, reasonable places. You hate dirty talk, but do some for us now anyway. Oh, yeah, Papa. Ooh. <laughs> you like my little booty? <laughs> You like my little pig right. boy booty? You have to stop. Okay. That's so disturbing. Thank you. What, that little boy voice Gross. should never be done I don't, That just came to me. I don't know. Um, what's the best advice your mom ever gave you? Oh, um, pay your taxes. No, just kidding. That is good advice. She didn't give me that advice. Um, just be kind. Yeah. Boring. But, That's sweet, though. But she, she was kind, and I try to be kind. I don't know. I like that. I love that. I love it. Who's your celebrity crush? Ooh, um, I would, I, I would say Pharrell. It's oh. always been Pharrell. Interesting. Yeah, I'm really into him. I love his style. I love his swagger. I think he's sexy. I think he's talented. I think all of those things, except I'm, oh, I don't oh, find him oh, attractive. Oh, and Christopher Maloney. Oh, yes. Like that ass. Ass, that and, ass and cock. And cock. Um, what's the worst thing a man can do when he's in bed with you? Um, play with my nipples. Thank you. Me too. It's not for me. I really? don't have... Steve is looking at us in horror. I have very small nipples that don't really... Or, you know, aureole... Uh, what is it? Aureoles. Aureoles. It just... There's nothing going on there. I have big ones, and people think that means I like them played with. Yeah. I don't. I really don't. I really um, don't. And finally, please list all the reasons you're grateful to me. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Well, first of all, uh, when I met Adam, I was at the lowest part lowest point in my life. Um, I had just gotten out of a really difficult breakup. Try to cry if you can. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he really helped me find out who I was as a person. No, um, you just, you just, you really stepped in as like a father figure, a mentor. Um, You're, you, you are still one of my best friends. Best of ass. My favorite episodes. 
All right. Well, turnabout is fair play. So before we end this episode, Steve, I thought we would play Ask Me No Questions <gasps> with you. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you the same questions that I asked Ryan in that okay. clip. So number one, what is your... <laughs> God, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> what is your most embarrassing sexual experience? You know, I think my most embarrassing sexual experience was actually, because we don't talk about it enough, at the Woods Campground. So I was blowing the sky, and I, you know, this is in this place that no longer exists called the Headshed. Yes, I heard uh, about the Headshed. I was on my knees, and I didn't know who I was blowing, because the only people that I blow is I do a sniff test. If it smells like laundry or like soap, I'll go for it. So I didn't know who I was blowing, and all of a sudden I feel this little tap on the shoulder, and then someone picking me up by my clothes... And it was my husband, Lane Marsh. And he said, do you know how you're blowing? And I'm like, no. And he's like, let's go. And then he told me I was blowing. I'm like, oh, my God. But you Why know was it someone bad? It wasn't someone bad. It was just someone that we both mutually thought was kind of gross. But I do have to say, the dick was big and the load was delicious. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, one time when I was with my boyfriend, Patrick at the Eagle. This is definitely too much information, but Hi, Patrick. you know, we were open, so we were no. allowed to play around together or separately. And I went into a dark corner of the Eagle and I started sucking the most fantastic dick ever. And then I stood up and <gasps> it was him. It was my boyfriend. <laughs> you didn't know? No. And he thought I knew the whole time. Well, it's li- a very li- romantic story. I know though. what a compliment. I loved most. it. Oh, he has a good dick. Uh, okay. Yeah. Number two, the strangest place you've ever had sex. In the butt, Bob. <laughs> that is such an old <laughs> newlywed game, newlywed show joke. Um, the strangest place I've had. Also, I, that was the only question that I looked and I and I practiced that one. Um, the strangest place I think would have to be in the elevator shaft of a, of the Equinox Gym at Rockefeller Center. This is a long time now, ago. This is different from the uh, supply closet at your gym. Or is that the same it's story? It's the same. I've already told the uh, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's there. So. I still don't quite get what it was. Was it a supply closet? Was it an elevator shaft? It's what like, was no, it? No, it's not. You can't, be, you can't have sex in the elevator. It's like where all the computer stuff is of the... Uh, it's like a room you're not supposed to go it's in. It's definitely a room you're not supposed to go in, but I definitely went in there. And uh, that guy has since moved upstate close to me and oh. he continuously hits me up. But he kind of... Got a little busted looking, so I'm just going to go ignoring him. Like that's ever stopped you before. That's true. Uh, okay, well, y- you have to do this better than Ryan. Please give us some dirty talk. It doesn't sound like an infant. I should have practiced this. Um, hey. <laughs> no, be serious. All right. Um, Think yeah. about you're in oh. bed with someone. Yeah, man, you like that dick? Yeah, shut up. Here, hold on to this. Yeah, give me that ass. Come on, give me that ass. Oh, fuck yeah, that ass tastes so good. Yeah, you like that? Open up, no, 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 open up, open up. (laughs) (laughs) You asshole. (laughs) That's me as a top. Yeah. Congratulations. Good luck on that. Um, All right. Uh, (laughs) What's the best advice your mom ever gave you? Show me who your friends are and I'll know exactly who you are. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. And I actually think you need to take that advice more often. <laughs> Listen, I have... Some of your friends are questionable. I have friends from every walk of life, and none of them get along, and I'm realizing that's probably a problem at this point in my adult life. Maybe a, a more rigorous screening process is in order. <laughs> uh, what's the worst thing a man can do with you in bed? Other than, other than this. Oh. You know what? There's like a line... We're not hitting, but we're like it starts to get a little violent, and I don't like 
violence or like mean. When I don't you're like, the bottom and they're being too rough with you. Like, yeah, like both in words or in sort of physical actions. Like I, I don't like, I like being subby, but I don't like being demeaned. That's not, I like that is such a turnoff. I'm like, okay, you can go now. So I like being demeaned. Oh, really? And demeaning others verbally, but I don't like it physically. Like I don't actually um, want you to hurt me. Yeah. Impact or, play. Or, yeah. Is that what impact That's play what is? Impact Did we finally is, yeah. learn that? It, Steve and I went to this uh, leather competition at the woods, which, believe me, was not nearly as sexy as it may sound. She likes and impact several, play. Several of the contestants said they were into impact play, and we were like, what the fuck is that? It's where you get hit, but like, like abused. I am not into impact no. play. I am not into impact. Word to the wise. Yeah. And finally, the last question I asked Ryan, I will now yeah. ask you, list all the reasons you're grateful to me. You cook a mean soy curl. Um, fajitas. You, fajitas. Yes. You, you are an amazing house guest. Ladies and gentlemen, having Adam as a house guest, not only did he clean up after himself, but he cleaned up shit that I had before he came to the house and left a dishwasher running, the sink clean. He made his coffee in the morning. I was basically your housekeeper. He was And great. your chef. And the chef. And um, I'm, gra- I'm grateful to be on this show and meet both you and JB. And uh, I'm grateful for your friendship. Oh, I'm grateful for your friendship. Aww. Grateful for you both. You. I'm grateful for the listeners. I hope they enjoyed this best of ass, Steve's favorite episodes. I have a feeling this one's going to be supersized. So I hope you all appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much. You can hit that closing music. Oh, first plug yourselves, guys. Oh, I am Steve Cesaro Medina on, wait, who? I am Cub Mexi on Instagram and Steve Cesaro Medina on Facebook. Uh, I am Stocking Anarchy 12, only on Instagram. I love you both. Thank you so much. We're back live again next week with comedian and podcast host Kev- Kevin Goatee. Mm-hmm. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to order your ass merch at adamsank.com. Follow me, me, on Twitter and Instagram at adamsank and on TikTok at adamsankofficial. Email me anything you want at adam at adamsank.com. Have a great week, bitches. Bye. Bye. Oh, hi.